Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of JM Rewind. My name is Nahum Siegel. We get an opportunity over the next hour to revisit some of the uh, wonderful conversations we've had on JM in the AM. Uh, the first is a um, phone visit from a young singer with a brand new CD. David Lowy joined us at JM in the AM, and here is how that conversation went. Hey, David Lowy is with us live via telephone from Israel. David Lowy is out with a brand new album. We get an opportunity to speak with him. The album is called Inspire. He'll be speaking with us from Israel next after we get a little sample of his brand new album. You're listening to the best place for brand new Jewish music, and that's, of course, JM in the AM. David Lowy, he's with us live via telephone from Israel. The brand new album is entitled Inspire. David Lowy, welcome to JM in the AM. Shalom Aleichem, nothing. Pleasure to speak with you. Before we get into who David Lowy is, uh, tell us about that specific song. Whose uh, composition is that? So that is my composition, um, nice. as well as the uh, whole album pretty much. Baruch Hashem, I was able to compose it. Um, Udi Damari had... Uh, had teamed up with me to write the lyrics, and he also did the arrangements. Did you write for other artists before your solo career began? Did I what? Write, compose for other artists before your solo uh, career began? I did not. 
No. Interesting. And yet, you, on my own. and yet you go ahead and you're singing your own compositions. David Lowy is with us. All right, uh, tell us who David Lowy is. Uh, um, tell our audience a little bit about your uh, background and how you got to this point where you released a CD entitled Inspire. Okay, um, it's a pretty vague one. I don't know where to begin. <laughs> I'm originally from Staten Island. <laughs> originally from Staten Island, New York. Um, went to JEC for high school. Uh, came to Eretz Israel to learn at uh, Or Yerushalayim, and then I learned at uh, Landers. Um, I received smicha there. Uh, we wanted to, my wife and I at that time, wanted to pursue our dream of coming to Eretz Yisrael. We came to Eretz Yisrael. I learned in, uh, in a kolel, which trains people for kiros and outreach um, under the guidance of Rav Yitzhak Berkowitz, wow. which was a major source of my inspiration and probably the major source for the inspiration for this album. And, um, yeah, I was also to be a Rebbe at Eishat Torah for a few years, so um, I think that was already the the makeup of where Inspire came from, all that inspiration of, of trying to send out a message to the, to the world, to the Mechazic people. Where does music in general um, uh, come in in the whole Kirov process? I, I, I would suspect, if we just sit back and think about it for a minute, I would suspect that it, ha- it could have a major role in bringing people closer to their heritage. Sure. I I believe that I a huge part of my Yiddish guide and who I am and where I'm holding today is... is very much due to the Jewish music and what it's done for me and seeing what it's done for other people. I think it's a huge role. And um, if I'm Zofa to even have a small part of that, that's a tremendous thing. David Lowy's with us uh, from Israel. How long did it take to uh, put together this project? Um, it's funny. When, when people ask me about my first album, how long did it take? I said about 30 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess it started from when I was born and all the uh, experiences that I've had throughout my life and training and music and different things. And it led up to the final production of the first album. So I guess this album took 30-plus years. Uh, it, was, it was actually in the works uh, about a year and a half. People don't realize just how painstaking a process it is and how long it takes. No, for sure not. Uh, you have a selection here, Nigun Mashiach. Tell us about it. So Nigun Mashiach actually is, um, is probably making the most uh, noise out of all the songs. I mean, people always ask me, what's my favorite song? Um, I have such a hard time saying that. I feel like each one of my songs is, is almost like a child. You know, how can you have a favorite child? And each one you relate to differently, each one you put so much into. Um, but seemingly, people are relating to Nigga Mashiach a lot. Um, it has a very powerful message, a very amazing, upbeat uh, feel to it, a new sound. And, um, yeah, it's about Mashiach. It's about a Nigan, a Nigan for hope. And um, I got new arrangers on it, which was the whole story, how I found these arrangers. Um, they go by the name Robot Jocks, which you won't <laughs> see anywhere else, really. <laughs> and um, it basically, it was such a shtach process how I came about them. When I was working on this album, I was looking for like a new sound, a new something, and I was reaching out to different people, and once somehow just one random person led to another person, and somebody suggested I speak to somebody by the name of Elon Cohen, who was actually involved in, in secular music before he became from, and he has a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge in music, he recommended these people that I work with, and it was it was a hit. It's it, uh, an amazing shidduch that we made, and they made the song great. So song I'm, is, I'm very happy about it. song is called Nigun Mashiach. It's off of David Lowy's brand new album, which is called Inspire, and you're listening to JM in the AM.
David Lowy is with us, a song he calls uh, Nigun Mashiach at uh, JM in the AM. He's with us live from Israel as we explore the brand new album entitled Inspire. Uh, I assume it's available everywhere at this point? It is. Actually, it's funny that it only is becoming available in Eretz right now. It took a little extra time for some reason. Huh. But um, it's, it's available, yeah, it's been available almost uh, for three weeks now, four weeks. And are you doing live performances? Is that part of your repertoire or not? I do, I do. Um, especially in Israel, I do gigs here, bar mitzvahs, weddings, etc. And in Chutzlar, if somebody's willing to fly me in, I'm very happy to come as well. <laughs> there you go. All right, tell us about the uh, selection entitled Together. Together. Okay, it's another, it's really another one that's very special and dear to my heart. Um, features the famous Israeli singer Aaron Rizel, um, which was just so special for me to have him on the on the album. Um, actually, I'm very, very close with his brother, Yonatan. We learned together in Yeshiva. They're both amazing. They're, they're both amazing yeah, people. They're both, they're both amazing, and I spoke to him, and he also recommended I use um, his brother, Arn, for the song, and it was it was amazing. I had to speak to his manager. His manager heard the song right away, and he said, we love the song, we love the message, we want to be a part of this. Um, it's called Together, because that's what it's about. It's about unity and quality throughout, and um, I don't think we could hear about it enough, how much we need it, and um, Miriam Israeli wrote the lyrics. Um mm. By the way, just as, as, as a general thing for this whole album, there's a lot of lyrics, lyrics that work with me. Um, tremendous talent. Miriam Israeli, someone by the name of Haile Newhouse, who put out an album called Miracles with David Perlman. Um, I was featured on that album also. That's how we met. And um, a tremendous, it was a tremendous project with, with the lyrics and the messages. But Together was, was a masterpiece by Miriam Israeli, who wrote the lyrics. And um, it has this back and forth between Hebrew and English, and the song is about two Jews basically trying to get together. And the idea was to have like one sing in Hebrew and one sing in English and show that like even though they're different, but they're trying to make a connection. And then the song changes and actually then I sing in Hebrew and he sings in English. And the chorus is like this back and forth between Hebrew and English trying to show that there's this like mesh between, you know, two Jews trying to get together. And um, that's really what the song is a very powerful song. And Baruch Hashem, it's also making a lot of. A lot of getting great feedback from it. David Lowy, the brand new album is Inspire. Here's the song he's referring to. It's called Together at JM in the AM. Hello, my friend. It's time to renew our connection. You know, my friend, we're really other's reflection You mirror my soul and I feel the beat of your heart 
David Lowy with us. Song is called "Together." That duet really works well. You must have been really happy with the yeah. way that came out, boy. Perfect, yeah. It's really, really nice. I forgot to mention it was arranged by Jeff Harvich, uh, the legend. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, did a great job. Uh, JM in the AM, 12 minutes before the hour. David Lowy's with us. A brand new album is called Inspire. We'll wrap up with the title track in just a moment. Uh, it's available everywhere, as uh, David mentioned. Features some uh, amazing people. You mentioned earlier that uh, you were responsible for the first composition we asked you about. Are, are all these yours? So um, 95% are mine. There's one song, Kim Chayenu, which was composed by um, a friend of mine, Shalom Markman. Hmm. Um, he composed most of the song. I added a little bit of it to a little bit to it, but um, the rest, yeah, the rest are mine. Hashem. Sounds like you took this project very seriously. Yeah, it was uh, produced, composed, sung. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but uh, Baruch Hashem somehow. Added the Shemaya, pulled through and finished it. 
Information, information, follow-up, bookings, etc. How do people reach David Lowy? Um, it's on my album, Music at gmail.com. I have a website, com. There you go. Easy enough. Tell us about the title track, Inspire. You started telling us a little bit about this in terms of naming the album Inspire, and for the reasons you did, tell us about this song specifically. Um, so, yeah, Inspire is, well, the name is really what I feel the whole album's about. That's why I felt it was just the title track for the album. Um, it's really all about inspiring messages, trying to spread that message. And um, the song itself is, um, I guess, uh, a message that was very, very dear to my heart. Um, I wrote it at the time when I was teaching at Asia Torah, where it's just such an inspirational environment. You're there across from the Kotel, you're teaching people who are thirsty and yearning for, for meaning in life. And um, if anything, I felt that I was more inspired than them by just seeing their thirst and how they, they swallow up every word. Of, of Torah and, and meaning that you give to them, wow. I would walk. I would come home and tell my wife, I think I'm more inspired than my students and my them <laughs> just from teaching them. And really the song itself says that, how, you know, you reach out to, to your brother and you're trying to inspire him, but really you're inspiring yourself. And um, that's really what the song is about. And, and I think that, um, you know, we're times of, of Mashiach now. We need, a, we need to reach out to others and, and inspire them. People are thirsty for it. People want it. And really, it's for ourselves more than anything else that we'll be inspired I'll be and how we're serving Hashem. David Lowy, look him up in Jerusalem. The brand new CD is entitled Inspired. The title track will wrap up our conversation. David, we take this opportunity. We wish you a very happy, healthy, sweet new year and continued good luck. It's, it seems like the first few weeks of this album have been very successful ones. Baruch Hashem, yeah, the feedback has been tremendous, very meaningful feedback. I'm Baruch Hashem, I'm very, very happy so far. David Lowy, Inspire, we thank him on this Thursday morning at JM in the... That was David Lowy, our conversation with him on JM in the AM, and I thank you for listening to JM Rewind. Next is a conversation we had with Ari Wasserman, a book having to do with halacha in the workplace, Making It Work. Ari Wasserman, he was our guest, and this is what it sounded like during that edition of JM in the AM. JM in the AM on this Thursday morning. Ari Wasserman is with us live via telephone. He is the author of a book entitled Making It Work, a practical guide to halacha in the workplace. Ari Wasserman and I are two of those people that um, that would uh, hesitate to let everybody know just how long we know each other. Ari Wasserman, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. It's been over 30 years, let's say that. It certainly is over 30 years. Unbelievable. Making it work, a practical guide to halacha in the workplace. Why did you write the book? Very good question. I think I'd say it was uh, inspired when I started working back in the early 90s. That I, When I got out in the secular workplace, I was encountering, let's say, challenges or questions as it relates to being from in a secular workplace. And I'll give just a, maybe a few quick examples when I was summering at a law firm in Century City located in Los Angeles, the summer went easily. I was taken out by a number of uh, partners to uh, kosher restaurants. But at the end of the summer, there was a required lunch for all the summer associates, and it was at a Trafe for Restaurant. Uh, it happened to be a Trafe for Restaurant, not only a regular Trafe for Restaurant, but a seafood restaurant located on Pico Boulevard, right across the street from the Young Israel of Century City. Oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, and it, not, it was much worse than that, even. The entire front was glass, so people on the street, including the rabbi walking by from the Young Israel, could easily see right in. And there's actually a fish tank in the, in the window that you could choose your lobster from. <laughs> so I had a, a question of going into Trey Fresh, and obviously I wasn't going to eat anything, but it's a Morris Ayan question. So that was even very early in my career. That, that was a question that came up. I was... Then uh, I was on campus interviewing during my second year of law school, and a partner at a very prestigious New York law firm, uh, they accepted me as a, for a first-round interview. It was supposed to last 20 minutes. They had seen my resume and my grades, so that means you passed the test. They just want to meet you. And uh, the interview lasted an entire five minutes, and he spoke to my kippah, the, my yarmulke, the whole time, and did not make eye contact. And he basically dismissed me after five minutes. Obviously, the yarmulke was an issue. So that raises the question, do I have to wear a yarmulke in the workplace? And just a, just a third example of, uh, of the things that uh, I encountered, and basically everyone in the secular workplace encounters, I ordered when I was uh, working at 125 Broad Street in Manhattan uh, from a, a midtown uh, 
kosher restaurant. They were always careful about double sealing the meat uh, that was delivered. And one time it took two hours to arrive. It usually took 45 minutes and uh, it came unsealed. And I had the question then, was I allowed to eat it? Because as we know, just like an airplane food or airplane meal, you have to have it double sealed or you're not allowed to have it. So I, there I was sitting at work, nine o'clock at night, starving, halishing, and I have this food sitting right in front of me. And I had the question, Basar Shini Salaminai, am I allowed to eat it? So lots of issues came up. When I, when I moved out to Los Angeles, I started giving a sheer on, on some of these topics. And then when I moved on to Israel about uh, eight years ago, Aisha Torah and then Or Sameach asked that I give a sheer on workplace halacha. They actually asked for a year on Choshen Mishpat, and I said Choshen Mishpat, ironically, is not workplace halacha. There are a lot of other topics and issues that are brought in uh, Or Chaim and Yeridea and Eben Ezra, not in Choshen Mishpat. Choshen Mishpat is business halacha. Well, I would say Choshen Mishpat is work halacha, not workplace it's halacha. Workplace, yeah, it's right. work, it's business, right. usury issues, but all the bread and butter topics that we really experience, so Geneva Stas and interviewing and Marasain and all these issues, um, those, well, some of those are in Chosh Mishpat, but basically a third of the topics in, the, in uh, making a work are Chosh Mishpat. The rest are non-Chosh Mishpat topics. So, so that I think that, that I saw when I was out there in, in the workplace that there was really nothing for people who, and that's most people working in the secular workplace, it was nothing to act as a guide for the real right. difficult issues that come up. Ari Wasserman's with us, making it work, a practical guide to halacha in the workplace. The, 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 I, I, I should point out, especially because of, of of the way this conversation started, that the, there is a lot of positive aspect uh, to to what you published, meaning that uh, you do have chapters about Kiddush Hashem, wearing a kippah in the workplace, honesty and in interviewing. And what I mean by positive is that you know the, these topics or these areas of life give all of us, men and women, an opportunity to to really make a good name for ourselves and for our people. And that shouldn't be lost on everybody. Yes, you know, the, the question of whether to eat this, this meal that's unsealed, obviously a very important halacha question. But I don't want to paint the picture that it's all, you know, negative opportunities, so to speak, or trying to recover from negative experiences. There's a lot of positive possibilities in the workplace. That's, that's 100% correct. It's called surviving and thriving in the workplace. Um, it starts out the first chapter is making a kiddush Hashem in the workplace, and uh, that's obviously what we're out there to do. I'll tell you a quick question, a uh, quick story about Rav Palm. Rav Palm was asked by the son of a former student of his. Um, he was about to go work in Manhattan, and the student said, "If I have to take my yarmulke off for the job, can I take the job?" Rav Palm says, "Absolutely not. The yarmulke should stay on. If it's a requirement that you take it off, don't take the job. But there are three requirements to take the job." He said, "Number one." that you have to be the hardest worker in the office. Number two, you have to be the most honest in the office, and you have to be the most pleasant person around. You have to be greeting people. So there's a tremendous opportunity to make a Kiddush Hashem out there, and that's ultimately what we're there to do. And of course, we're there to make a salary, but uh, right. we have to make a Kiddush Hashem all the time. Uh, and you actually wrote a book about covering one's head in the workplace? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, well, the... the, the um, I put out a two-volume work. It's about 1,500 pages on head coverings for men, not for women, for men, uh, yarmulkes, hats, the history. Is it a obligation? Is it a midas hasidus? Uh, it covers uh, going to the swimming pool. I actually had a, a, an interesting question uh, the other day. Somebody emailed me um, that uh, somebody, his wife, he's not able to exercise because of his knees other than swimming, and his wife bought him an, a waterproof iPod. Does he have to wear a yarmulke? to listen to Shiurim while swimming. <laughs> so, Interesting. Uh, but uh, the reason I point that out about you know your expertise in that area is because you, I don't want the story about Rav Palm to scare anybody, meaning that obviously there are people in, 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 in a variety of situations in the workplace, and they should certainly consult with their, with their own rabbi to determine what they should or should not do in terms of daily practice, correct? I mean, I just... A absolutely. I don't want correct. to be scared off that... Chapter in Right. There's a whole chapter in where, making a work on wearing yarmulkes, and Rav Moshe Feinstein uh, was actually lenient um, in certain circumstances. So there are times that there are heterim for it. Uh, I think people may invoke it a little bit too much, but uh, definitely a shayla has to be asked. Uh, you cover items like uh, davening and learning, making time for Torah study, uh, making time to daven mincha during the day, and I assume you mean not just uh, by oneself, but ideally with a minion. You talk about davening with a minion in general, a topic that is always a big topic uh, uh, in this building, because people know how when I was saying Kaddish, I was scrambling to actually get to a minion for 
Shachris because of my uh, interesting uh, uh, schedule in this line of work. Uh, I, I would I would guess that uh, again there are just uh, there are so many guidelines and and different twists and turns that these questions can take. There's, there, there's no I would assume there's no clear answer because of all the different circumstances that people out there can be in. That's 100% correct, because you actually have two questions when it comes to davening with a minion. Am I obligated to, to go? How far do I have to travel? But on the, on the flip side, if I'm on salary, am I prohibited to go because oh. I may be stealing from my employer? Then? Good point. Mincha during lunchtime, possibly, right? During lunchtime, a break. But I will yeah. say, one thing I miss, miss greatly from working in New York, I was at 250 Park, two blocks up in the stairwell, Minyanim, and then when I was down in uh, on the Lower East, uh, the lower Manhattan, uh, the, uh, on Water Street, there was uh, in a basement, there was two minchas and a mariv and a dafiyomi, <laughs> and the Aguda has out, uh, there used to be a booklet, now I think it's online, every mincha in town, it's tremendous, tremendous Kiddush Hashem going out when people are able to, to make minyan on the job. And now because you're in Yerushalayim, you get to only do it in a conventional shul, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I miss those stairwells. <laughs> exactly. That, that's what you're pining for, the good old days. Now, now, you, actually, now you actually go to a shul with an iron kodesh and have, and have as proper a mincha as could be. Uh, Ari, <laughs> Ari Wasserman is with us, Making It Work is the name of the book, A Practical Guide to Halacha in the Workplace, Surviving and Thriving at Work, Halacha, Musr, Hashkafa, and true stories like some of the ones you've told about your experience already uh, this morning. Uh, on the honesty, uh, you know, many people joke about uh, about office supplies and, you know, should they should they or can they be taken from work and expense accounts and how they are used. I would assume, just uh, b- based on the uh, on our conversation so far this morning, that, that you are encouraging people to be meticulous when it comes to those things. Yeah, it really depends. Uh, a lot of this is like uh, based on what the Minaga Medina is. And the Minaga Medina that's brought in the Gemara is actually defined as an industry standard. So every industry actually may have its own, uh, I- its own details as to when is it permissible and when is it not permissible. I, I will tell typically people do uh, err on taking too much. I was working at a company in Los Angeles, a marketing company, and in 2004 we were having a difficult time financially, so we look at, looked at the P&L, profit and loss statement, saying where was all the money going, and we saw that uh, 150 people, 100 of them were in the call center, so 50 in the corporate side, and $250,000 were going to office supplies. And we said that sounds a little bit high for office supplies, not a large company. And we realized that uh, we knew, but uh, the the uh, the cabinet with office supplies was located in the open kitchen for all employees, and it was not locked. So we made a simple change, not putting a lock on it. We actually moved the supply cabinet, left it unlocked still, but we moved it into the COO's office, the chief operating officer's office. And anytime people needed to take office supplies, they knew they would be watched, but it was unlocked. Right. And uh, the cost was cut in half immediately. Wow. <laughs> Go figure. Good adjustment. And actually, it helps people It helps people deal with the office supply issue in a better fashion, so, sort of a trust but verify fashion. Yes, so pe- absolutely. You know, people end up uh, you know, going into the closet much less often, I would suspect. Um, yeah, taking less. Yeah, exactly. Um, and speaking of Dina Damalchusa, Dina, you do address in the book uh, financial obligations to the government. Uh, I, I would again assume you encourage people to deal with their uh, personal and business taxes in a responsible manner. Absolutely, Rav Schwab. Uh, there's stories about Rav Schwab. He was actually audited, and I bring this in the book. And the IRS agent couldn't believe he was audited because he he didn't earn much, but he gave so much to Dhaka out of what he was earned, out of what he was uh, taking in. And the IRS agent went through in detail everything. And afterward, the IRS agent wrote him a letter how strict Rav Schwab was that he has renewed his belief in humanity because of how strict he was about keeping all of his records and giving such charity on such a low salary. So uh, there there are a lot of questions that do come up. And I uh, go into detail in the book on it, but uh, we have to make a kiddush Hashem. And unfortunately, there have been a lot of issues in Klal Yisrael that, had we been stricter about uh, keeping, keeping these uh, halachas, uh, they wouldn't have occurred. So, uh, definitely an important. What's an interesting point? I, um, they also have up a website called workplacehalacha.com. 
and I'm able to go. It has all the shiurim. It has English articles, Hebrew makoros on it. Also, I'm able to go and look on Google Analytics to see which are the most uh, used um, topics. And it turns out that the top three topics, number three, is taxes, paying your taxes in Dina de Machusadina, which is what you just asked on. Number one is the Marasayan question, business meetings in non-kosher restaurants. And number two is actually shaking hands with the opposite gender. Ah. So, uh, Dina. Taxes is a big one. Taxes, Dina right. it's listed as number three on, on the website. Interesting. All right, and speaking of which, shaking hands, etc., the whole social aspect of work, especially these days, a, you, know, you, you talk about holiday parties, non-Jewish social gatherings, even giving holiday gifts, and you talk about issues of yichud and shaking hands, etc. Uh, I, I would guess, uh, again, that this is, I mean, uh, a, you know, a, a variety of different situations. I mean, I, at this point, People who are not in a regular workplace, those who have the opportunity to spend their day in in uh, in um, Jewish environments, let's put it that way, whether it be uh, you know uh, schools and synagogues or kollels or you know companies that you know traditionally are, are Jewish and, uh, and 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 run by people who understand all the restrictions and all the all the customs and all the you know h- habitual things that we do and don't do. For those who are not in that arena, life could be very challenging and difficult in the workplace. And very often, those in the first category don't realize how difficult it can be. Um, yeah. So, I, again, if, if, if people want to explore this, these are some of the topics you discuss, and I, I would guess you have stories from, uh, from that uh, area of life as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll, from, from a lot of stories are included in it to illustrate the point. But as, as you mentioned before, this is an important point of the book is there are challenges, but there are solutions. And right. that's what the book is about. It's not about problems. It's, a, it's about uh, surviving and really thriving in a secular workplace. Wow, unbelievable. And everybody has an opportunity to really uh, make their mark in a positive manner in this type of situation, or really any type of situation, obviously, but when it comes to the workplace, it's somewhere where you are every single day, and, you know, people get to know you, and uh, and they'll get to know if you, you know, the sincerity behind what you do, and uh, I would hope that everybody would use the opportunity to really help bridge, um, uh, you know, bridge the differences and be friendly and pleasant, and at the same time, you know, maintain the holiness that we are known for. Fully agree. So there you have it. Making it work. Ari Wasserman's new book is entitled Making It Work, a practical guide to halacha in the workplace, surviving and thriving at work, halacha, musr, hashkafa, and true stories. And I'm told, you, we mentioned the book about uh, the kippah, about the yarmulke, uh, but I'm told you have others as well out there. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, I just finished a five-volume set called Hegione Yaparsha. It's also distributed by Feldheim, so it's Making It Work by Feldheim. And it's uh, actual topics. Tvarim just came out a couple months ago. The actual topics, uh, not some workplace, but it's not It's not based on the workplace. It's like uh, eating in the street. The Gemara says it's Pasole Edu, so what does that mean, eating in the street? Um, so that's uh, one of the topics. And uh um, can you steal somebody's date? It's, uh, there's an issue of stealing somebody's transaction. So if somebody's dating somebody, can uh, somebody else, a shop, can intervene and, and steal that date? Um, can you put out a candle with your mouth, for example, of Dullah or Noheg Tanatu? That's a lot, a lot of uh, interesting, relevant halacha topics. That one is in Hebrew. The Hagin Parsh is in Hebrew, and the uh, head coverings, Otsar Hakipa, is in Hebrew, but uh, Making It Work is in English. Um, first, first English book out that I've put out. Unbelievable. Ari Wasserman, thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the book. I assume it's available everywhere. You said Feldheim distributes it. I assume people can get it uh, through them and uh, and these days. You know. At your local bo- bookstores and the profits go to, to, to Tzedakah, so it's, uh, it's a double mitzvah. There you go. Great speaking with you. Continued good luck and uh, best regards everybody in Jerusalem. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Have a good Shabbos. That was my conversation with Ari Wasserman regarding his book, Making It Work. Coming up next on JM Rewind, a visit to the studio when I had the pleasure of welcoming Jay Booksbaum, the world's number one kosher wine sommelier, and Adam Montefiore of Montefiore Winery in Israel to the studio. It was a great conversation. We had an amazing opportunity to speak about a wonderful Israeli wine. Here was the visit from Jay Booksbaum and Adam Montefiore at JM in the AM. J.M. in the A.M. with Zachreina L'chaim, done by Mendy Wald as we get ready for the brand new year of 5777, which begins on Sunday night. A couple of very special guests in our studio. 
Uh, the first is uh, somebody who uh, we call and uh, consider, and uh, so does the rest of the world, the number one kosher wine sommelier on planet Earth. In fact, uh, after his last appearance here, I got into a discussion on our app with somebody regarding his uh, position as number one kosher wine sommelier. He's also somebody who for many, many years has helped me encourage our listeners to begin a brand new year with brand new bottles of wine from Israel. Uh, we always want, whether it's before a holiday, certainly before Pesach, we always like to promote Israeli wines, but for some reason, it always seems to have even more meaning uh, at the beginning of a brand new year. And as the brand new year begins on Sunday night, Jay Booksbaum, the great wine sommelier, and I encourage everybody to have as much Israeli wine, brand new bottles of Israeli wine on the table as possible. Jay Booksbaum, Shana Tava, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, tell me more about the app. <laughs> you're great. You, as long as it's talking about you, you want to hear more. <laughs> no, no, really, it's it's you you know, it's great. important. It is important. We keep talking about it, and we hope more and more people will install. It. And we we figured out that for someone who's completely unaffiliated, unaware, and unable to do anything with their phone, right. for that person, it takes about twenty five seconds to install the app. So <laughs> you I want to know every place I go in the country. Because, you know, not everybody can right. hear you on terrestrial radio Correct. if you're outside of New York. Especially New Jersey. now we're going to extraterrestrial radio. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I'm telling you, everybody hears you on their app. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, and it's so simple. But we kept saying that for people outside of New York and New Jersey, this transition is going to be seamless yeah. because they won't know the difference. <laughs> right. We just have to get everyone else to come along with us, so to speak. Um, so Jay is here, and you know it's funny. I, I, I don't want to discuss where yet. We will have an opportunity okay. to discuss where in the next few weeks. But you know, I've been out of town the last couple of days. Secret. And I, secret is right. And I get a um, a communique from Stacy Siegel. And she says to me the following by text. She says, Related to Stacey? I am. She says, are you aware of the fact that there's an article that Shimon Peres, in one of his last public speeches before his stroke, and now, of course, he's passed away, uh, spoke about how people should buy Israeli products. That was like his big focus of one of these major speeches. And she said, I encourage you, she says to me in this text, to use this opportunity to remind everybody how important it is all year round, obviously, to buy Israeli products and stay connected to the land and to the state in that way. And then, sure enough, who's here next day? But Jay Booksbound bringing along a special guest to discuss this very topic, thank God. so. And this special guest is really a wonderful human being and a man I've known for almost 30 years. Right? And from a family that's quite distinguished in the Jewish, uh, in Adam, Jewish history. Adam Montefiore. Adam Montefiore is here, and uh, it is a pleasure and honor to welcome you here to JM in the AM. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning. Shana Tova to you. Shana Tova to you and, and everyone. Got that really cool British yes. accent. <laughs> Originally from Great Britain, correct? That's sure, yep. Israel defeated Great Britain this past Sunday in the World Baseball Classic qualifying match, so my apologies for that. <laughs> but nonetheless, a pleasure to welcome you here. Well, he's more Israeli than Great than <laughs> That's, British. Oh, good days. point, yeah. yeah. Actually, he should be celebrating with us, yeah, exactly. right? Exactly. Anyway, so um, here we are at the start of a brand new year, and you get the point. We always talk year-round about Israeli wine, but for some reason, we've always had, I don't know, a way into people's heart at the very beginning of the brand new year to start the year with something from Israel. And you encourage those who are buying cases to make sure at least one case comes from Israel, and those right. who are serving many bottles, make sure at least some of the bottles are from the Holy Land. And today's a good example. We have some actual bottles from the Holy Land with us today, correct? And we might even be able to get you to like it. Yeah, I think you, you will. Know, it's not like you don't syrupy sweet. You don't understand. You you keep you keep reliving conversations okay. from 10 years ago. You don't I, understand just how sophisticated I, my palate has become. It. I know. I mean, there's some wines maybe. now that I'm literally enjoying. You know, okay, maybe not good. maybe not at the pace that you enjoy them. I hear you. Or in the volume that you enjoy them. <laughs> no, but Adam, Adam, Adam not only uh, comes from a, a very auspicious family yeah. and great history behind that, which, uh, Adam, I'd like you to talk, talk about that, but he's now the kind of chairman of a, a Montefiore winery. Right, and that's located where? Uh, in the Judean Hills, on the, on the way to Jerusalem. We would know it closest to what town or city? It's near Bet Shemesh, oh, Emek Sorek. We know where that Sorek is. Sorek Valley. Yep. And that is literally where the vineyards are? This is where the winery is? What goes on there? This is where the winery and vineyards are. They're both there? And we buy, we buy the grapes, we make the wine um, in memory of Moses, Moses Montefiore. Right. Who, who would be your... Who uh, was my um, uh, forebear five generations right. before. Um, and I'm the first member of the family to go and live in Israel. And we thought uh, making a winery in his honor was a wonderful thing to do. You could say that again. 
Uh, yeah, to say the family uh, is included in those who are historic builders of Israel would be accurate, correct? Sure. I mean, he built the first uh, community, the first neighborhood outside the old city walls. Right. And that became the cornerstone of modern Jerusalem. Correct. So we're very proud of that. As they say, Stelzachfar. Excuse me, Jay, I'm sorry. Stelzachfar. Say it again, please. <laughs> just imagine. They don't speak Yiddish in when, the Montefiore well, village. Just, well, just imagine. <laughs> when Moses Montefiore came to, to Israel for the first time, right. the whole community of Israel, at least certainly in, in Jerusalem, lived within the old city walls. Right. And they were literally afraid to leave the old city walls. And he convinced them to plant vineyards literally in, in Yemin Moshe, which is right outside. Yeah, now there's like yeah. multi-million dollar homes there Correct. where there used to be olive groves and, and vineyards. Now the wine in that area is in the restaurants <laughs> that are in that area. <laughs> but no, but really, and that's where the min windmill, you right. know, the, the, sure. the iconic windmill. Windmill. Windmill, windmill is yeah, there. Exactly. Bluff. Yeah. Uh, more references in Bal Hotels right there. Yeah. And many other places. Uh, and, and what is the park? We call it, what do we call it? Ganam Hamon is right there? What, what do we call that park that's right there next to Yemen I think it's Ganam Hamon, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Anyway, many of our listeners are familiar with the geography, that's for sure. Um, but these wines are just amazing. We had lunch yesterday with uh, one of the finest wine writers, and he had just given Robert Park of Robert Parker Magazine, fellow man Mark Squires, who writes for him, and he had just given some of these wines in the 90s, right? Yes, Tell us three, about that. three wines scored in the 90s, and he wrote that it was one of the most exciting of the new wineries, and that the wines seemed to be getting better and better. If I if I could have paid him to say something, he couldn't <laughs> have. Uh, we couldn't have got a better review from the most important critic in the world. So, what, what does he mean by new winery? Is this, well, is this in a, fact a new winery? Yes, the winery was founded, in fact, in 2010, wow, and the first recent. wines released in 2013. Huh. Under and the name Montefiore. Under the name Montefiore. And what, what, um, are the, what are the specific names of the three you brought in this morning? We've bought in the Montefiore Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm -hmm. We've bought in the Montefiore Red, which is an entry-level blend, and to the white. Jay, what can you tell us? What can you tell us in the scheme of things on well, the, I, I on the wine scene about these wines? Well, first of all, the Montefiore Red and White are both about $20 retail. Hmm. So it, they're accessible. They're easy to buy, not only easy to drink, but they're easy to buy, and they're also made in an accessible manner, meaning it's not, it's not a big, muscular, you know, knock-your-socks-off wine. So it's really got, it goes with a whole host and variety of foods, and easy drinking, easy to buy, uh, a so very it's a well distinguished wine, yeah. yet an easy to adjust to right, wine. Right, right, and the Cabernet, which is a little bit more money, is still not uh, tremendously expensive, but still delicious, thick, rich. So if you're having a real big roast or something very flavorful, uh, you know, for Yontif. You'd want to buy that as well. If you buy all three, you'll be in great shape. As you sit here, we say this every time, um, and encourage people to buy Israeli wines, and in this case have brought us a prominent uh, winery representative. Uh, people want to know if it's available. Can they walk into the New York, New Jersey, and other places, as you indicated, you know, stores, and find these types of wines? Yes, in New York and New Jersey, it's widely distributed. Mm -hmm. Outside of New York and New Jersey... You know, like in Chicago, you'd probably have to go to uh, your Julasco right. or uh, Hungarian. In Miami, it's pro it's widely distributed in all the kosher shops that, you know, the meat stores and so on that also sell wine. Um, but in other areas, uh, you know, more Midwestern or, you know, lesser, uh, smaller Jewish communities. Not lesser, God right. forbid, I'm going to get hit yeah, for yeah. that. Population in smaller wise. Jewish <laughs> communities, it's probably more difficult to get. Jay Booksbound with Adam Montefiore. Do you get the feeling that we're always promoting? Do you get the feeling that there's a desire among diaspora Jews to include these types of bottles on their holiday table, or are we just making this stuff up as we go along? Sure, this is the most accept acceptable uh, side of uh, Israel. You can't give a present of a bottle of high-tech. So, <laughs> Very good. So, uh, That's a cool that comment. A good one, yeah. so, so wine is a great gift, and it's a great way to help the growers and agriculturists of Israel. And if we're talking about Shimon Peres, he was a great supporter of Israeli wine. Right. Probably amongst all the prime ministers and presidents of Israel, well, he was hence, the one hence who what, understood more about wine than anyone else. And hence what my wife referenced about his desire to get everybody around the world to buy Israeli products. Sure, right. sure. And we always had to send him bottles, and we always had to send yeah. him the right bottles. So... Um, 
you know, the wine community will remember Shimon Peres with as much warmth as everyone else. That's interesting. You know, you have to you have to look at that also because when it comes to other food products, even other agricultural products, if for you to know that it comes from Israel is not so easy. That's whether it's true. oranges or cookies or whatever, you know. But in a bottle of wine, by law, it has to say the country of origin right front center on the front label. So it's much more easy to uh, also, of course, most Israeli wines, if not all of them, have Hebrew writing on right. the front letter on the front uh, labels. So the history of your family in wine, is it, is it something that's only 21st century or it does go way back? Well, it goes back to the beginning in the, in the mid-19th century when Moses Montefiore was the first person to suggest the planting of vines. Right. Now, his dream, his vision, really took place 40 years later when Zionism took root and uh, Baron Edmund de Rothschild came and uh, recreated an Israeli wine industry. But the first vision was Moses Montefiore. And then 150 years later, I arrived in Israel, the first member of the family to make Aliyah, <laughs> with three children, and worked in the wine business. And now my children are also working in the wine business. So... So we feel that it's somehow in our, in our genes. And Moses Montefiore used to drink one bottle of wine every day. And he lived to 101, mm. which is about double the, the regular age right. span that people lived that in those time. days. Yeah. And he was a great wine lover. So, so we feel somehow we're on a historic mission, not only to bring Israeli wines to, uh, uh, to people abroad, but also to fulfill the family destiny. Adam Montefiore is here, um, Jay Booksbaum, of course, as we get closer and closer to the brand new year and remind everybody the importance of including Israeli products, in this case specifically wine, in what you're going to be giving or serving uh, starting this coming Sunday night. Um, we have discussed umpteen times, and with Jay even more than that, just how many wineries continue to sprout up around the state of Israel. Being in the industry, is it scary for you to see so many other colleagues you know, coming forth and many of them succeeding, or are you just part of an amazing rush that you welcome? If I look back 20 years ago, it's almost a miracle where we have arrived today and think where we might get to in another 20 years. I mean, no one's saying Israel is better than California or better than France, but the strides we've made in wine is absolutely amazing. We have something like 300 wineries. They're all producing good wine. And what that means is everyone's trying to produce better wine. So what can be better than the competition? Yeah, I guess that's true. It's, that nice? it's incredible to watch, though. It's really incredible. Remember, we used to, very short, very short time ago, we used to say 200. Now the right. figure is 300. 300 yeah. and we, <coughs> it right. just keeps going up. And, um, and w the other thing that continues to baffle me, and Jay and I have discussed this in the past, there are regions of Israel where I think that the average layman can understand that a vineyard would be successful. You know, I don't know, for some reason, when you think of the Golan, I think like, hey, you know, it's got the, it's got the, this is the average man talking, it's got the atmosphere, so yeah, you can have, but you think of Beit Shemesh, and you think of the area that you described, you know, whether it's dry or very hot, etc., and yet, you're able to produce a grape that, you know, that, that's, that's in the industry, that's, you know, a major part of the industry. How do you explain, outside of the biblical uh, angle, uh, and the Jewish heritage angle of the what above. How do you explain that all these regions of Israel are able to produce wine? Well, vineyards cover the land of Israel. And what's important to produce good wine is high altitude. And there are the Jerusalem Mountains, the Golan Heights, the Upper Galilee, even the Negev Mountains. And Israelis have a sort of bloody-minded attitude that if we can't do it, <laughs> we'll do it. And, we'll do it anyway. <laughs> and so they've planted vineyards in the Negev, right, which are producing great wine. Israel is covered with vines, with vineyards, just like in biblical times. It's unbelievable. Does this uh, surprise you at all? It, it, it actually gives me the chills. Because there's no other country that could do that, right? It's it, impossible. It's, it's the <laughs> only, but you know, you know, it's a known fact that it's the only country in the world, the only civilized country in the world, where there's more trees every year right. than the year before. Right. And so, you know, to hear about this is just... It's obviously that, you know, Israel can. It's a can-do place, but it's still miraculous and, and chilling in it's a very nice way. Uh, how many total varieties, I want to use the right word, yeah. of wine does your winery make? We, we have six wines. Uh, we produce something like 75,000 bottles a year. And we already export uh, nearly half that amount to, um, to about 12 different countries around the world. Majority of those exports to our area? Or not sure, sure. It, Canada, America are right. still the number one markets for most Israeli wine. What have you done with the Great Britain market? Have they taken to your wine? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> it's a very uh, well-established uh, 
uh, English family, the Montefiore family. That's true. And um, certainly they're very, the wines are very popular there. All right, there you but have the it. Montefiori's originally come from Italy, right? Sure. Um, the family, the, the word Montefiori com, uh, means mountain flower, Montefiori. And uh, we came from the Marche region of Italy, uh, near Ancona. Um, Moses Montefiore himself was born in Tuscany, in Livorno. Um, uh, but then the family was 200 years in, in England. And we're the first strand to go and live in Israel. So, Unbelievable. Uh, are, there, uh, are there wines that are collector's items from decades ago in the family? Or... Or that's not, um, that there's not not a category like that in your not not really because the the wines that really age decades are, are really the French wines um, but uh, you know as a family of wine lovers certainly we enjoy drinking wine <laughs> rather than storing wine it's a different concept <laughs> like we the, did last yeah, night yeah. Does, like we did last night Jay yeah. does both he stores yeah. and drinks yeah. has to make a decision what to keep storing what to keep let drinking me, let me tell you sometimes <laughs> it's not it's, it's not an easy decision it's not an easy decision right were any of the wines that you opened last night in a social media explosion because everybody <laughs> was following what you were doing uh, were any of them Israeli related at all yeah was, were there yeah there was Castel I didn't realize that Castel C Yes, oh, which uh, was magnificent. Oh, and there was a Katrin as well. Oh, and and these were uh, classic, meaning you know older wines, or yeah, yeah, and everything was way out of uh, vintage, meaning not oh, out of vintage, meaning right. you know not current vintages. Uh, the Castel C, which still held up beautifully, was an '09. Right now it's a Chardonnay, and right now we're we're showing the '14. So you're talking about a wine that's uh, six years out of vintage and still holding up beautifully. And so yeah. So how do we answer the question for the people who are asking right now? How do I get to be friends with Jay Booksmith? Like you know, anybody who's you know, well I they want to hang out and do the same thing you did last night. I get night. questions from all my friends all the time. <laughs> Jay, can we buy wine from you? And I go, listen, it's illegal, but you're welcome to come over and share a glass of wine with me anytime you want. And I make that, uh, I make that uh, offer to all your listeners. So if you're opening up one of those classic bottles, you will not be upset. If someone shows up, absolutely not. And It'll be what, what, an I'm honor a, and a pleasure. How do you like that? Imagine that, huh? Jay, you're incredible. I don't know about Brenda, but you know, <laughs> but yeah. you have no with problem. the line around the block, you know. But, <laughs> but you have no problem. No. Adam Montefiore is here. Are we opening up the uh, winery uh, and the facility to the public at any time? Is it already open to the public? What is the? Because I know that's always like a natural step for these wineries to, you know, to try to uh, encourage people to come visit. Is that something in the plans? Or? We have a dream. Uh, and that is to open the uh, a visitor center in Mishkanot Shanim, where it all began. Wow. And that's where Moses Montefiore and the windmill are most remembered in Israel. Um, and that's what we get planned to do in the future. Um, but until then, we, we don't have a visitor center. All right. But you do have that vision in mind. For sure. For sure. Wine you is know, uh, a series of dreams coming true. And this is the next. I the would next say dream. the second most iconic uh, picture of Israel uh, after the the, the uh, what do you call it, the spies right. with the grapes, is probably the windmill. Right. If you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Great association with the Holy Land. Right. People see that. Especially Jerusalem. No question about it. And, and and again, what I said earlier, just the the family name. There's only a handful of family names in the last three four hundred years that you know that really identify as builders of the land of Israel. And obviously, yours is one of them. So, and we also mentioned I, I mentioned off the air that uh, uh, the book about Jerusalem. Uh, is written by Montefiore, and you identified that person as your brother. Yes, my little brother, Simon. So there you go. He's a historian and wrote the book of Jerusalem. It which is, is an a, amazing A fantastic book. read. Yeah. It is such an amazing really? book. Really? i oh got to get it. It is an amazing if, book. If, I, if he was nicer to me, you'd get me a <laughs> copy. <laughs> I may actually have an extra upstairs. Yeah, I'm not yeah, kidding. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> no, but I, I can't I, do much but, better than that, Jay. You know, I, I just want to, you know, uh, obviously... Shimon Perez and, and so on and so forth to urge people, myself, obviously, to buy Israeli wines and Israeli foods, especially before Yontif. Right. Um, go out this tomorrow, tonight, and get a couple of bottles of Montefiore wine. I'm telling you, do it. You will not be sorry. You'll enjoy it. Uh, it's got a good, what we call in the business, QPR, quality price ratio. Right. And, uh, you know, do it. All right, Jay, I thank you. Adam, I thank you. Shana Tova to Shana you. Shana to you and everyone else. Uh, everybody out there is looking forward to, um, uh, to trying these wines and enjoying great Israeli wines. I know for you it's an honor to be escorted by the number one kosher wine sommelier on planet Earth. Fantastic. You know, Jay is who Jay is. 
and uh, he continues to hold that title with great pride. I am so grateful. I, I, re- I want to say this at the end of the year. It's very important. I am so grateful to all of your listeners. Every time I travel, whether it's Boca <laughs> or California or Argentina, wow. you know, somebody, if not many people, come over to me and go, Oh, you're on the Nachum Siegel <laughs> show, aren't you? You know, so I really want to thank everybody for listening. I want to wish everybody a chasiva, chasima teiva, a good gebenched yar, especially Lipa. Uh, and everybody else in Williamsburg. <laughs> and everybody else in Williamsburg. <laughs> really, thank you very much. And, and I please accept my apologies if I ever said anything untoworthy. Oh, Why would you suspect that you would say anything that <laughs> might, might, might bother somebody? I have all these filters on my mouth, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jay Booksbad, number one kosher wine sommelier, uh, Adam Montefiore. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in Jerusalem. Shana Tova, and thank you for visiting us. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with uh, Adam Montefiore and Jay Booksbad on a recent visit to JM in the AM. I thank you all for listening in to JM Rewind. My name is Nachum Siegel, wishing everybody a Gmarch Simatova, a happy, healthy, and sweet 5777, an easy and inspirational fast to everyone. And each week on Tuesdays at this time, make sure to be tuned in for another edition of JM Rewind. I thank you for listening to the Nachum Siegel Network.